And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. I don't know where you are on the scale of being easily distracted. I know for me, I'm pretty high up there on the scale. I have this kind of issue, and it's kind of how I'm wired, that oftentimes I allow the urgent matters to interrupt the important matters in my life. Like as a kid, I, 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 if I tested positive for anything, I tested positive for ADHD. Like I was attention deficit disorder. Anybody else out here that's got attention deficit disorder or hyperactive disorder? Yeah, I mean, it's like a, it's like a badge of honor nowadays, but, but I'll tell you what, back in the day when I was a kid, it wasn't a badge of honor. It got me in a lot of trouble. Like I think of just, I think of the, the problems that I had at school. I think of the problems that I had at, at, at home. I think about all the times that I got in trouble for the yard work that my parents wanted me to do that I didn't do that well. I think about all the times that I was told to clean my room and I got distracted into other things or the times that I left stuff all over the house and, and, and was getting easily distracted from cleaning up. And, and when I think of that and I think about now, like being an adult, uh, with attention and deficit disorder, what I love the most is now I don't really get in trouble for it. I get to yell at all my kids for the very same things that I did when I was growing up. You see, getting easily distracted is something that, that I've struggled with. My guess is, is that, that some of you have probably struggled with that as well. And I, I want to show you something that, that I've just kind of discovered in most of my life, and it's up here on the screens, and it says this, that the things that I get distracted by are never as important as the things that I get distracted from, right? Does that sound familiar to any of you, that the things that we get distracted by are never as important as the things that we get distracted from? And in most cases, the distractions, the things that kind of shift our attention aren't necessarily that bad. Like some of those things are, are actually somewhat important in our lives, but they are rarely ever more important than the things that we get distracted or pulled away from. You see, it's not a big deal for us to lose focus in some areas. It's not a big deal for us to, to kind of lose focus even in some seasons of our lives. But there are some things. There are some things that if we take our eye off of them, that we end up waking up five or ten years later down the road and we think to ourselves, how did I get here? Like, how did I get here? How did I make such a mess of my life? Why does my life look so much different now than I thought it would when I was younger? And over the years, I've kind of learned some things in my own journey with God, things through some successes and things through some failures uh, that I think is important about our priorities, and I want to share those with you today. You see, there's one thing that impacts everything in our life. 
there's one thing that impacts everything in our life. And if we can get this one thing right, everything else in our life falls into place. And today, I want to kind of shine a light on that one thing. And so if you got your Bible, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. Oh yeah, baby. We're going back to the book of Revelation. We, we kind of dug into one of the churches in Revelation uh, chapter 3 a few weeks ago today. Uh, we're going to go back and we're going to take a look again at another church uh, that is prophetically speaking about the church in the end times. That's, that's us. And uh, today we're going to look at the church in Ephesus. So in Revelation chapter 2, we're going to be looking at 1 through 7. But while you're making your way there to Revelation 2, I want to paint a little picture real quick uh, to help you kind of have a backstory or a broader view to understand the significance of what we're going to talk about today. You see, if you had to picture Ephesus, if you had to kind of imagine what that community, what that city was like, the, the easiest way for us in the 21st century to do that is to think of the city of New York, to think of Ephesus in um, comparison to New York City, that Ephesus was the hub in that region for commerce. It was the hub in that area for culture. I mean, back then, if, if you lived back then and you wanted to go on vacation, you went to Ephesus. Like if you wanted to get away from work and just go chill out and hang by the water and enjoy the entertainment, Ephesus was the place that you would go. Ephesus was known for having the biggest amphitheater. Like even back then, the amphitheater could seat almost 50,000 people in it. They had this temple, the temple of Artemis, which was the god that they worshipped. And it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. When you think of Ephesus, we, we are, are introduced to the beginning of this church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And we see in Acts chapter 19 how in the midst of idolatry, in the midst of witchcraft, and in the midst of, of the culture and commerce, that the power of the Holy Spirit moves mightily and many people were saved. And you can you could read more about that church if you look at the book of Ephesians. But over time, this church where God moved mightily, where God showed up and did amazing kinds of signs and wonders, this church got distracted. They got distracted. And so Jesus comes in, steps into this in Revelation 2, and, and he gives the strong fatherly warning about their priorities. And I think of, I say strong fatherly warning because Jesus truly does want the best for these people. He wants the best for us as, as this is a prophetic book that speaks about the end times and the end time church. And so we, we see this fatherly warning about their priorities because his heart truly is that they would experience his best, that we would experience his best. And so look with me here in Revelation chapter 2. Again, we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 7. So it starts off here 
Uh, this is Jesus speaking, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So that word angel in the original language is the word messenger. It, it represents the pastor of the church. Babe, I am an angel. I don't know where she went. I scanned over and she wasn't there. That was a joke, by the way. I'm not an angel. But he's referring to the pastor of the church. And watch what Jesus does. He says, this is, he kind of gives this description. He's like, pastor, I want you to tell your people this. And then Jesus begins to describe himself a little bit. He said, this is the message of the guy who holds the seven um, pastors, the seven stars in his right hand. And look at this, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. Now, I think this is so cool, this, especially this last statement of who walks among the seven gold lampstands, because the lampstands represent the seven churches that are talked about in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. And I find this interesting that Jesus uses the, the, the word lampstand as a way to describe the church. Like, the, it's not the church that is the light of the world, it's Jesus that is the light of the world, but Jesus sets himself up, the light up on the lampstand, on the local church, so that as he shines, he can shine bright into the dark world that is around. And so I love here how he says that, that, that he's going to that he walks among, like, like just to, to visualize and to imagine that, that we have a VIP guest in our midst today. Like Jesus, like I walk among these churches. And today, like the Spirit of God walks among us through the aisles of this place that he is walking in and out. And, and here's what he says. And what he says in Scripture and in chapter 2, he says, I know all the things that you do. Now, I like to stop there because just, just the thought of the Spirit of God walking through here and saying, I know all the things that you do. Like, it, it reminds me of when I was a kid growing up, and if you've been around the church a while, you know that I didn't grow up in church, and so I wasn't really the, um, the A-plus a-plus kind of character kid, and I just, I think of this, and I, I, I'm reminded of when I would come home, right, and I thought that I was coming home and kind of passing it by my parents, that they didn't know what I was doing while I was out, but they knew, right? They knew, and, uh, and this is kind of like how I read this uh, from Jesus, that as he walks these aisles, and as we come in, like we can put the mask on, we can, we can kind of smile, we can have the worst arguments on the way in in the minivan, and then as soon as you step out of the car, you know, a big smile on your face, and, and everything's good when your whole world is shattered and falling apart. But Jesus knows, like when we come into this place and he walks through the aisles and we sit there and we think we know all the things that we're dealing with and wrestling with and nobody else does, that Jesus knows and he knows, and he's like, listen, you're not, you may be fooling everybody else, but you're not fooling me. And he says here in verse 2, he says, he says, I know all the things that you do. Now watch this. He says, that I've seen your hard work and your 
patient endurance. And what Jesus is going to do here is something that I learned when I, um, when I kind of got out of college and worked for my father-in-law. And one of the things that he kind of mentored me on was the compliment sandwich. Anybody ever heard of the compliment sandwich? Like, like whenever, whenever you, um, and then, you know, it could, the compliment sandwich can go wrong, but it was a good tool um, that when you've got to handle conflict with somebody, when you've got to um, hold somebody accountable, that this, the sandwich is that you sit down with them and you encourage them, you know, you're saying some positive things on the top end, right? And, and then the meat of the sandwich is where you get into the, the, the stuff that maybe you just need to have a, a, you know, kind of a heart-to-heart conversation about, and then you end it with some more positive, Right, so the individual doesn't walk out feeling like they've been scolded to death and like relationships cut. Like there's there's a little bit of relationship. Then hey, we got to get this right, and then some more relationship. And I think it's interesting how you're going to see here in the verses one through seven where Jesus uses the compliment sandwich. Now I'm sure he wasn't thinking in those days like, hey, I'm going to totally bust out the compliment sandwich to these guys. But that's what you see. Like he he gives some encouragement. So we see here. And verse 2, that I know all the things that you do. And then he starts to give some encouragement. And he says, I've, I've seen your hard work, and I've also seen your patient endurance. Now, I found it interesting that this, this phrase, hard work, if you look at the word hard in the original language, it's the word kapos. It's K-O-P-O-S. And here's what it means. It means a blow that is so hard that it seriously weakens or debilitates. A blow that's so hard that it weakens or debilitates. Like, I know that this is not where we got the, the, the phrase KO, like UFC, like KO boxing. But I found it interesting that the two letters in the Greek word are KO, the first two letters. And this idea of, of in our lives, like we can get... We can get hit so hard in our lives that it becomes debilitating, that, that it knocks the air out of us. And, and maybe you and your journey with the Lord, and, and, and maybe you've tried to do a lot of things right. Like you sit there today and you think, like, I, I do everything that I can think of to be a good person and to do the right thing. But yet, even despite that, it's like you're getting this compost KO you know, hit to the stomach of your marriage or, or to your finances or your relationships, your kids. Like maybe it was a business deal that, that, that man, you were kind of thinking like, if this goes well, like it's going to set me for a while. And then, and then you get this compost knock, KO knock in the gut of life and it falls through and, and it just knocks the, the breath out of you. And, and Jesus is like to this church, he's like, I see that. Like I see you today as I walk through the aisles of this church, that I see what nobody else sees. I see that it took everything that you could possibly do to step through these doors today. Like he sees, he tells us Ephesians church that, that, that punch after punch after punch that you've received this hard work that you still had this patient endurance. In other words, you still kept moving. Right, You may have gotten knocked back a step or two, but you're taking another step forward. Like you're not where you want to be, but you're not where you used to be. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just kind of, you're still kind of moving. And, and, and we see in verse 2, Jesus goes on. He says, and, and he starts to list 
this list of good things, the, the, the compliment sandwich. He's, start, he's listing the good things of what they've done. I, I know that, that you don't tolerate evil people. He's speaking to the church here. You, you've examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles, but they're not that you have discovered that they're liars, that you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. And he sees it. But like any good father in our lives who wants what's best for his children, he's not going to withhold the advice that could change their life. And we see this advice in verse 4. He says, but I have this complaint against you, that you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Like you're doing a lot of good things, and you're persevering, and you're not quitting, but this complaint that Jesus says that I see is that you don't love me or each other as you did at first. In other words, I used to be the priority in your life and everything that you did revolved around me. But, but now over the years and over time, now, now the priority in your life is all the other things in your life. And, and I kind of am left on the outside revolving around that. And Jesus is like, I got a problem with that. Jesus like, that ain't going to work for me. And what I find really interesting and eye-opening is that when you look at the, the, the two verses before this, in verse 2 and 3, and you see all the good things, like the compliments that Jesus gives the church, what I see, what's eye-opening to me is that that it shows that we can be busy doing a lot of good things in our life and still be somebody that has forsaken their first love. It also shows us that we can even persevere through difficulty and still be someone who's forsaken the first love, that we can live a life that even chooses good over evil. Like we can be a good person. And when we live our life and we've got these options that we can weigh and we most of the time choose good, that we can still be doing that and be somebody who's forsaken the first love. We can even endure hardship. Hardship because we, we stood up for Jesus, but yet still be somebody who's forsaken their first love. Another way to say it, a simpler way to say it for me is this, is that we can be doing all the right things for God and still be in a wrong relationship with God. We can be doing all the right things and still be in a wrong relationship with God. Now, I know I I know that you're thinking like dude, when I saw how to prioritize your priorities, like I thought I was going to get a self-help sermon today and I was coming and I was just ready bless me, bless me, bless me, right? But I think that what we've got to see is that 
what Jesus is getting at with this church in Ephesus is that it doesn't matter how you prioritize all the other things in your life, that if this central truth, this central principle is not in place in your life where I am first and everything else is built on top of that, then our whole life seems to be kind of wonky and get shattered. You see, look at me in verse 4. Again, and notice that, and this is huge, notice this, that Jesus' complaint wasn't that they didn't love Him. Do you see that? It's not that they don't love Him, it's that they don't love Him first. I know it's getting heavy, it's getting thick. It's not that they don't love Him. It's that they don't love him first. And I'm going to let you in on a big a secret. It's a secret that will change your life. And I'm not overstating this promise, that this secret will change your life. And here it is, that God will not compete for our attention to the very things that he created. He won't. He's not going to try to compete with your boat. He's not going to try to compete with your golf clubs. He's not going to try to compete with the boyfriend or the girlfriend. He's not going to try to compete even with your spouse. He's not going to try to compete with your dreams for your future. Like, he's not going to try to compete with your finances. He's, he's, just, he's just not going to compete for the attention of the very things that he's created And this truth applies to every area of our life, like every area of our lives. And when when we get God out of, of order in these areas, those areas become idols in our lives. And God was pretty clear in Exodus about idols when he said that you shall have no other gods before me, right? That's a priority statement. Like, we thank God, well, I'm not walking around with some, like, golden calf and, you know, eh, whatever. That's not me. But when you think of what is the comparison between those days and these days, like, how do we take God, lowercase g gods and, and kind of translate that into the 21st century? Here's what I think it is. I think it's priorities. I think it's Priorities. And Jesus is saying, like, you should have no other priority in your life that is ahead of me. Like, no, in every area, no other priority. And the reason why God is so adamant about this is because he created you and I in such a way, and you've got, you've got to get this, like, he created you and I in such a way that we experience his best for our lives when he is the first in our lives. So you've got to hear this, all right? You've got to hear this not from a father that's beating down, but a loving father that's inviting you into the very best of what he has to offer. 
Like I've shared this in the past, like when the kids were small and they reached up on a hot stove, the reason why I smacked their hands from the stove was not because I was like, didn't want them anywhere in the kitchen and just wanted to beat up on them and and be like domineering and all that stuff. No, it was because they were not aware of what that reach could do in their lives. And I was. You know, we see in scripture, it says that God disciplines those that he loves. Like, like a lot of times we try to live our life, like hoping that there's no discipline from God. But the reality is, is that if we're feeling that conviction of the Holy Spirit, he's doing that because he loves you and he's inviting you into a deeper, more life-giving relationship with him. And so he has created you. Think of this. He has created you with this in mind, that you, because why, why be God and why create you if he knows that you can have all this other stuff priority in your life and still experience his best? If he doesn't want to play second fiddle to anybody, then he's going to create us, right? He's going to create us so we find our sweet spot in our relationship with God when he is first in our life. If we want the best marriage we can have, put God first. If we want the, most, the, the, the best finances we can have, put God first. If we want the best relationships in our life, put God first. If we want kids that honor God and grow up and, and they're, just like, they're just turning away from the drugs and the peer pressure and all that stuff, put God first. Like If we want to, to be able to work and, and to do something that we're passionate about, that we love, that we enjoy, that on Friday we're not just like, oh man, Monday's like two days away, but we're like, man, that was an awesome week. I got to make an impact in people's lives. Then we put God first because he's designed us that way that we experience his best in our life when he is first. So look at this with me. In this next verse, Jesus tells us what we need to do if we recognize that we've kind of drifted and that he's no longer first in our life. Look what he says in verse five. He says, look how far that you've fallen. I look at that phrase and the first thing that I can think of is remember. Like if you've allowed, if you're recognizing, okay, this is, this is heavy stuff. Like I'm recognizing that I got my priorities all out of whack. This is what Jesus says. The first thing that you've got to do is you've got to Remember. And the reason why we have to remember that we've got to reflect back on how far we've fallen, the only way you know how far you've fallen is by going back to the beginning, right? And the reason why that's important is because our relationship with God over time often becomes more transactional than relational, right? So we, our, our mindset, and this is just a human mindset, our mindset is, is the more I do for God, the more God will bless me, right? And then we get frustrated with God when difficulty comes our way because then we're like, well, I'm doing all of this stuff for you, God. You're not holding up to your end of the bargain. And that's a transactional relationship. Like think about how well that goes as a married couple, yeah. <laughs> and so what, what Jesus is getting at is that if you recognize that you've gotten to that place, that you've got to, 
You've got to remember. You've got to reflect. Like, go back to, go back to that moment, that first moment that you felt my unconditional love that was like a blanket all over you, that it just like, like you were in his presence. Like I remember mine is in January of 1997, and I've told you the story, but 666 across my forehead and my face all painted, and it didn't matter what the ugliness was on the outside, it didn't matter to God. That God was like, I'm going to surround you with my unconditional love. No matter what you've done, the bad mistakes and the decisions you've made, this is how I feel about you. And think about that moment for yourself. Think about, think about the moment that the weight, the weight of the, the sin and the mistakes and the hardships that you've you faced in your life and think about the moment that, that God reaches in and through his son brings forgiveness. And it's almost like if it's a visual, it's almost like, it's like you're carrying this, 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 this weight on your shoulders and all of a sudden it gets thrown off and it's like this feeling of weightlessness that, that all of a sudden it's like, it's like you're, 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 you're in this spot where all this this luggage, all this weight that you've been carrying all your life, that, that, that it's gone. Like think about, think about back at the time when, when, and Jesus saying, when I was the only thing that mattered to you. Like think about the time that it didn't matter. You just wanted, wanted to be in church as much as you could. You wanted to be around uh, Christ followers and grow. You wanted to be in the Word. You wanted to be in His presence. Like, like everything you did, you would say no to, go, to fishing trips. You would say no to, to sports games. You would say no to this and that because you just, you wanted to be in His presence. And, and, and Jesus is like, listen, if you've drifted in your priorities the first thing you got to do is to go back and mentally reflect and to see how far you've fallen. And then he says, turn back to me and do the works that you did at first. And so he says, he says you got to remember where you were and how far you've fallen. And then he says, you got to turn back to me. So the second kind of step is to, to repent to repent of, of how far you have fallen away from God and in, in, in the priorities and in and, and this phrase turn back in the original um, language, it means to repent. It means to think differently. It's this idea of like you've been you've been prioritizing your life and kind of living your life, and this is the direction you've been going. And the word repent means to kind of, to do a 180, like stop doing the same thing. Like stop putting all this other stuff ahead of me. Like stop going that direction and make a hard turn and begin to go the other way. And when Jesus says the works that you did at first, he's in essence saying that you've, You've got to make this conscious decision to stop, stop just giving me leftovers and put me first in your life again. And here's what I find, and I'm not going to dig into this because of time, but here's what I find really interesting, is that when you look at this verse, 
And you look at this idea of turning back, the original, again, the original language, the word is to repent. In the Bible, what was the only thing that we were instructed to repent of? Sin. In the Bible, the only thing that you and I are instructed to repent for is sin. So here's what that means, that when we don't put God first in our life, it's not just a bad habit, it's not just a mistake, it's not just a scheduling conflict, that what Jesus is saying is that it is a sin for us not to put God first in every area of our lives. And it's a sin that costs us a lot. Here's what it cost us. We see in verse 5, look what he says, that if you don't do it, like if you choose to continue to go about that path, if you choose to put all the other things in a higher priority than me, he says, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to find another church to display my power and my glory to the world. Like, I'm going to come take, remember, we're not the light. Jesus is the light. But he sets that on top of the lampstand, his church, so that it can shine bright all around. And what Jesus is saying is that if you choose not to place me first in your life, if you choose not to repent and to turn around and go the other direction, that I'm going to remove the lampstand and I'm going to go find another one. I'm going to go find another church. I'm going to go find another group of believers that will prioritize me and their lives. And I'm going to place my power, my might, my glory on that lampstand. An old church. Mm. May, may we not, may we not be the kind of place where Jesus has to look down and remove the lampstand and to take his power and his glory elsewhere. Like, may we be a church of people. You, you, we talk about revival. We talk about awakening. We, we want to see our family members come to know Christ and their lives transformed and, and our business workers and all that. We want to see that. That happens as we make Jesus a priority in our lives. Think of how duplicitous it is for us to want, 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 want that, but yet not want to put God first in every area of our life. Think of how duplicitous that is. And Jesus is like, I, I'm not going to hang out in that kind of environment that I'm going to switch my location and I'm going to switch where I choose to shine my light brightly. And he goes on and he says in the next verse, he says, but you've got this in your favor in verse 6. He says that you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans. And what Jesus is getting at here, and we're not going to dig into this either, but that group of people, they were... They were professing Christians that were abusing God's grace. 
This was a group of people that would look at God's grace as a get-out-of-jail-free card for all of their sinful actions. And we see that today even in the midst of the, the global church, that grace is an amazing thing that you and I receive. And it, it changes the trajectory of our lives. But grace was never intended to be an excuse for us to go sin and do whatever we wanted to do. Like that is an uh, abusive grace. Like the grace is an invitation to become more and more like Christ. It's a, it's a do-over button. Like anybody, anybody glad they got a do-over button? Like it's a do-over button of I got this mistake wrong, I got this wrong, I got this wrong, but because of your grace, I can hit the do-over button again in my life and I can continue to reset my priorities and go in the right direction. That that's what grace is for. Grace is not designed so that, oh, I can do what I want and sin and, 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 and live in it. And, but because of your grace, God, I'm just going to keep going this direction. I'm going to quit, quit, keep sleeping with this person. I'm going to keep drinking and doing drugs. And I'm going I'm to I'm I'm keep just talking bad about people. And I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not what grace is for. It's not what grace is for. And Jesus is, he's like an excellent, you know, if, I, if, if this was the, the Ryan translation of chapter four, it wouldn't say, I have, you have this in your favor, it'd say, you're doing a good job not buying into that garbage. <laughs> like grace is there, and grace is there to cover us and to give us a do-over, but it's not there to be an excuse to do whatever we want to do. And then Jesus gets, he gets personal with his fatherly advice in verse 7. I want to invite the worship team to make their way up. In verse 7, again, this is, this is Jesus now. He's, he's, he's been speaking to the corporate church of Ephesus, the end times church, and now he's, he's shifting this focus from broader to, to, to church-wide to individual. And here's what he says. This is part of the compliment sandwich. This is, all right, we're, we're through the hard stuff. Like everybody just relax. Oh, we're through the hard stuff. Here comes the back end of the compliment sandwich. He says, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. He's saying to you and I, like you've got to tune your ears in. You've got to to listen with an open heart. He's saying, are you, are you paying attention? Are, are, you, are you evaluating your priorities and making sure that, that, that I'm first in every area of your life? And, and Jesus is like, if you've, if you've got an ear to hear and if you've got a heart that's willing to reprioritize me, he says this, he says, to all of you that do that, you're victorious. says to everyone who is victorious. Victorious in what? Victorious in putting him first in our marriage, in our parenting, in our finances, in our job, in our dreams, in our emotions, in our health. 
And I thought this week, I was like, man, victorious is just a, it's a strange word. Like, like it's one thing if, if there's a battle to be fought and then you're victorious, but we're talking about like priorities. We're talking about loving God, but he's not first anymore. Like, God, where's the connection between that and victorious? I believe he showed me that he showed me because placing him first in our lives is a battle. It's not easy. It's not easy. And you you think of the areas. I don't need to keep listing areas of our life. If you're anything like me, God did a good enough job this week shining his light on some areas in my life. And maybe the Holy Spirit is doing that for you today. But he uses the word victorious because, friend, it is a battle. It is a battle to push away some things in our life in order to make God a priority. Like it is a battle when you look at your finances and it just feels like you're leaking everywhere and can't ever get ahead. And and so now putting God first in my finances means I got to give more away. Like it is a battle. And it's a battle, I think, partly because in our mind, you know, we're obviously not the creator, we're the creation. And so the creation has a hard time looking at areas in our lack that are deficient, areas in our life that that are lacking, and to think, well, if I give even more away, how's that going to work? But but to know that the creator of the universe, the very one that breathed life into you is the one that designed you in such a way that if you will place him first in every area, that everything else will fall into place. And he makes that strong statement here in this verse when he says that if you will do that, if you'll do the hard thing, like if you will be victorious and reprioritizing your life and placing me first, that I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Do you want to know what my, my translation to that is? You're going to get the best that heaven has to offer here and up there. Jesus kind of articulates this in another area in the Gospel of John in chapter 14, verse 21. He said, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. He's speaking of, of priorities, the ones that put my will for their life and relationship with me first, that, that those are the ones that show that they love me. And now watch this. 
And because they love me, my Father will love them and I will love them. Now look at this. Look at this. And I will reveal myself to each of them. Friend, what if, what if the reason why God feels so distant in your life, what if the reason why you don't hear him anymore like you used to, what if the reason why you feel like you can get no direction in your life, what if the reason why it's because Jesus doesn't feel free to reveal himself to someone who's just given him leftovers anyway? What if the key to all the best things that you can have in life, what if the key to that is not all the other self-help priorities that you get in place, but the one central priority that is key for everything in your life to function the way that it was designed to function? And that's God at the center. You know, I love, I'm closing with this. I love, um, I love getting away and, and being in just the grandiose, um, and I, I struggle to even have the words to, to explain it, but to be in God's creation. Like I'm not really an outdoors person just to like go get in the woods, to go get in the woods. That's just not, that's not how I'm wired. Um, but to go sit on the edge of a mountain and to look over all of God's creation. When our family, we love going on cruises. When we go on a cruise and I get up in the morning and I do my devotional and I, I'm, I'm standing on the, on the edge of the cruise boat and I'm just looking out and all I see all the way around me is water. All right, when I find a, a place to be able to watch the sunset. Like there's just something about that that tunes my ears into, into the Holy Spirit. It calms my soul and it tunes my ears in. And, and one of the places that I've always wanted to go, and, and maybe we will once we kick the kids out of the house, <laughs> have a little, bit, a little bit extra money then, um, is Niagara Falls. And maybe some of you have been Niagara Falls, you know, the big waterfall there on the border of Canada and, and New York. And, you know, there's a few different ways that you can experience Niagara Falls. You can experience it from a hotel room where you can gaze over at the falls and you can see the just brilliant light that's shining up the water. But you're too far away to feel it. You're too far away to hear it, but you can see it. Or you could venture out to the park that is nearby and at the park, you can hear it. You can even feel a few drops of, of the mist as the wind blows past the, the falls and it, it just kinda, it kinda catches you just a little bit every, every once in a while, you can feel the mist. Or you can go jump on one of those boats 
that they have at the, at the bottom of the falls and the boat goes out into the basin and you get so wet on this boat that they give out raincoats when you get on board. And I think that sometimes in our lives, I think sometimes as followers of Christ, we, we settle. Maybe we settle for the spiritual hotel room where we can still kind of catch the, the, the shine. We can still be enamored by the light on the fall spiritually, God's, God's glory and his presence, but we're never really close enough to hear it. We're never close enough to feel it, but we can see it. And some of us are, some of us may take a step and we may, we may, we may kind of go into the spiritual park and at that point we're close enough, we can, we can hear the, 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 the glory of God and what, what he's doing. We can, we can air, from time to time, we can feel some of his presence. We can feel kind of the goosebumps, you know, a couple times a year, like we feel God, but, but, but the rest of it is we're there. We can see it, but we're not immersed in it. And then there's some. There's some brave enough souls that are willing to prioritize God in every area of their life that spiritually speaking position themselves on the boat in the basin with their raincoat on immersed in the glory of of God. Church, if you want to know your pastor's heart, it's not to have fancy church services. It's not even for us to, to grow or whatever that looks like. That's, that's God's job, not ours. You know what our job is? You know what our heart is? is may we be a church. May we be a place, a people that will prioritize their lives and put God first in every area of our lives. May we be a people that will position ourselves in the basin of his presence and allow him and his glory to transform our lives. Yes, we get to experience his awesomeness, but other people do too because of all that he's done in our lives. May we not be a church just for church services. But may we be a people that live transformed lives so that other people's lives can be transformed. Would you bow your head with me today? Father, we love you so much. And God, I know this is a heavy word. I know that I know that it rubs. It rubbed me this week just as, as your Holy Spirit was just revealing some areas in my life that God I've taken you off the pedestal and God I pray over your people today Lord as your Holy Spirit has been convicting us in this place that as your Holy Spirit has been shining the light on areas of our lives Lord I pray that you would find a people that it's not going to be obstinate and stubborn and live in the way that they're going, but that, Lord, we would be a people that would remember back to all that you've done in our lives and how far we've fallen and that we 
God would have the courage to repent of our sin, not our bad choices, not our mistakes or our scheduling conflicts, but Lord, the sin of not putting you first. God, we want to be a people. We want to be a people that experience the fruit from the tree of life. And we want to be a people that experience your best in every area. With every head bowed and eye closed today, maybe you're here and maybe you've never made a decision to follow Christ. Friend, that's the first priority in your life. Above all the other things, is that you've got to make sure and get Jesus on the throne of your heart. Maybe that's you today and you're just sensing, listen, the sweaty palms, the heartbeat racing, that is the Holy Spirit right now in this moment putting his finger on your heart and beginning to stir. And I want to lead you in a prayer that will change your life for the better forever. If that's you today, maybe you're in here or maybe you're watching online at home, wherever you are, just, I'm not gonna ask you to come forward or to stand, but right there where you are, just slip up your hand for just a moment so that I can see who I'm praying for, just as a declaration to God that it's time to put you on the throne of my heart. Yeah, don't hesitate. You could try a lot of other things and you've probably done it and they've, not, they've got you to this spot. Why not try something different? Why not try something you've never done before? If you raised your hand today, I want you to repeat this prayer with me and church family say it aloud with me, Jesus. Thank you for dying for my sins. Forgive me for living life my way. Today I choose to surrender. Come live inside of me. And change me into the person that you want me to be. In Jesus' name. We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and His church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 10.30 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.